This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. Um, you can open to First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. Praise God. And we'll continue on from where we were at last week um, as we skimmed on through uh, chapter 2. And just by way of a a little recap as we um, continue down through the passage there, we were looking at Paul's leadership of the Thessalonian church and and he was only there for a short period of time. Uh, We would probably assume at least three weeks, but not much longer than that. Um, We know at least that he went into the synagogue uh, in the city for three Sabbaths in a row and reasoned with the local Jews uh, that were there, reasoned with them out of the scriptures concerning Yeshua, the Messiah, and trying to reason with them about um, his the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. That's where he would have reasoned because these New Testament gospels, epistles and letters had not been written by that stage. And so Paul was reasoning with them out of prophecy in the Old Testament. And so that you can see in the book of Acts. You can get that information from there because it's not um, shown in First Thessalonians, but you can see the record of Paul's missionary journeys and his trip to Thessalonica. And then a, a rebel was aroused by the uh, leading Jews and some of the officials and they accused uh, these men of some kind of insurrection and, and anti-government uh, kind of purposes that they were going to destabilize the area and so they brought false accusations against them um, and uh, the church decided that it was beneficial to get them out of the city and so they hustled them out of the place uh, before things got any worse. We learned last week about Paul's leadership of the church, that he was a faithful steward of his ministry. Let's read verses 1 through 6. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So we can see in here, Paul is outlining his motivation and his leadership and the circumstances surrounding the work that they did and the reason that they did this work and uh, the unselfish um, agenda that they had, that they came there purely to preach the gospel And he says, we could have made all kinds of demands, even rightfully so as apostles, but we didn't do that. We didn't seek any selfish gain. Um, And so he was talking about his faithfulness in the stewardship of his ministry. This obviously sits contrary to uh, 
many, 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 many churches down through history and church leaders and, and prominent uh, evangelists, we'll use air quotes around evangelists. Um, you know, the, the funny thing is that, that when you hear of these evangelists, you know, evangelist so-and-so and, you know, this, that and the other, that oftentimes when you hear their gospel presentation, it's lacking on a, a majority of the most important elements of the gospel. And yet they're called an evangelist, which seems to be a little bit of a, a contradiction of terms. But now there are some genuinely outstanding biblical evangelists uh, and, and preachers and pastors uh, I'm not trying to discount them all, some wonderful ones. In fact, if you want to hear some amazing gospel messages, uh, Google uh, Paris Reedhead and his gospel messages, and you will be absolutely blessed. Paris like the city, and Reedhead as in R-E-I-D, head. Reedhead, one word. Then also we saw last week that Paul talked about this parental concern that he had for the saints and he likened himself to being like a mother and he was he was trying to bring the church to this idea of thinking about how he nurtured them. Verse 7, But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. So, you know, Paul is not being shy here about his affection for these saints. And then also he talked about being a concerned father. For you remember, brothers, verse 9, our labor and toil, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory." I love all of the small things that Paul inserts into there. He talks, and it seems like he's almost boasting for a moment about his labors and his efforts, but he's saying that we did this for God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We're not trying to build a kingdom. This is not about us trying to build a monument to ourselves. And last night as we had the Bible study here, uh, we talked about that um, and we we read over a quote from a, a great preacher of old, another one of the good ones. We know he was a good one because he's dead. Um, and so uh, that he said that there are four stages to uh, ministry, that it begins with a man, it becomes a ministry, it establishes, uh, it becomes a movement, it establishes itself as a, uh, a machine, and then it becomes a monument. And so this is very often the case, uh, that religious ministries tend to build something that seems to end up honouring themselves rather than honouring God. And, and Paul talks about his conduct toward them here, and he says, your witnesses that we were righteous and blameless and holy uh, uh, toward you. That was what our conduct was like. 
And this is because we were trying to get you established for that day in which God calls you home to his kingdom. So this wasn't about Paul establishing his own kingdom. Now, some of the other things we've discussed that I want to remind you of and uh, may not have mentioned, uh, may not have mentioned um, fully, but growth brings with it some pain. And if you see in chapter 1, verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Uh, chapter 3, verse 3, that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Um, talking of their being established in the faith and and continuing to grow stronger and stronger. In the mind of Paul, affliction was a natural part of the Christian life, that there will be some form of affliction that comes against believers. And the word affliction here is pressure from circumstances. And, and we know some of the circumstances because Luke talks about them in the book of Acts, that they were heavily persecuted in that area. This is a, a, a very paganistic area. And, uh, and at the same time, there was a, a synagogue of Jews who also were persecuting the believers, especially those who were saved out of the, uh, the Jewish practices. In chapter 2, verse 14, it says that they suffered. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered for the same, you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. So they suffered. And this is the, this word is used in the Gospels to refer to the sufferings of Jesus that, that he took, uh, upon himself. They were also persecuted, chapter 2, verse 15, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind. So they were persecuted. Driven out is the meaning of this word and rejected. The situation was contrary. Uh, so they had this opposition, drove us out, displeased God and opposed all mankind. So there was this opposition that was coming against them, this contrariness. The word literally means oppositional wind that hinders progress. So as the church was growing and getting established, the local uh, community was pushing back against them, trying to oppose this growth, trying to oppose their uh, development, their evangelism, and they were hindered in verse 18 because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. And so we see a reality of spiritual warfare and uh, this is, you know, this is Paul speaking. This is not someone uh, being hyper-spiritual about things and, and trying to spiritualize the reason why they didn't do something. Paul is saying to them that the enemy was at work to stop them from getting back to them. And, and it seems in this case that the enemy may have been somewhat successful in preventing Paul, but maybe that was because God had some other plan uh, in the midst of that. And the word hindered here is to have a pathway or a roadway blocked by debris uh, and different things. And so it's like, you know, I, I travel across the Black Spur quite often and there's been a few times uh, in which the road has had to be cleared up from fallen trees 
and different things. And if you Google trees falling on the Black Spur, you'll see some amazing footage of, uh, of some trees uh, that fell on the Black Spur just a couple of years ago uh, when one tree fell and pulled down about another six or seven trees as it went and completely blocked the road. And this is the kind of language that Paul says when he was hindered is that there was a road blockage put in the way, something that occurred to stop them returning. So it's with this mindset in the midst of this that all of this, so we can, we can look at all of this opposition, all of this persecution and suffering that they're, that they're coming up against. Go back to chapter one, verse six, because there's a real importance in this verse. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Our Father, we thank you this morning and we praise you for your word. We thank you for this letter to the Thessalonians. We thank you for its history in the book of Acts. Lord, let your word be driven home in our hearts this morning. Stir us, exhort us, rebuke us, encourage us, uplift us, Lord, in your word. Help us to take example from these believers as they took example from others. Lord, that we might walk in such a way that glorifies you. We praise you in the mighty name of your Son, by whom we have access to you. Amen. They received the word with much affliction, through much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. This is a a powerful statement and it's a powerful lesson for us to grasp a hold of that joy should be part of the Christian life, the experience of joy within Christianity. It is to be part of the Christian life and it's an, it's an element of the vitality that you and I should experience as we live our lives in Christ Jesus, that we should experience the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not talking about happiness. Uh, you know, Jesus, when he gave the Sermon on the Mount, he, he kept using the word, blessed are they, blessed are they, blessed are they, and one translation of that word is happiness. It has a bit deeper meaning than just simply happiness, but happiness differs from joy in that happiness can be very circumstantial. It it happens in a moment many times. We can have a sense of happiness over some uh, uh, part of our lives and that happiness can sometimes be rocked even while it continues to abide. It can be rocked by other circumstances. But joy is akin to peace in Scripture and joy and peace are things that Scripture promises to us despite the circumstances. In fact, you can think of joy and peace in some ways as being like barometers to your spiritual health. That joy and peace somehow give you a a measurement in life as to how things are going in your spiritual health. Uh, Turn over to Philippians chapter 4 and you know where we're heading if you've been saved for any length of time and that's okay. Remember, Paul is writing to a church that has received the gospel through suffering, through affliction, through persecution. And he's saying that you receive this through all of that, 
with the joy of the Holy Spirit. It's really important that we understand that this joy is not just, it's not the joy of circumstances. This is the joy of that which abides in the life of a believer through being made a new creation in Christ Jesus and the abiding of the Holy Spirit in that believer's life. Paul says in Corinthians that anyone who is in Christ Jesus is made to be a new creation. The old has gone, all has become new. Now, in our generation, and I'm I'm trying not to make blanket statements here, Um, I just want to be careful that, that you understand that I do understand that the circumstances of life can be very difficult and people go through serious trauma, people go through difficult circumstances and it leads to all kinds of problems, all right? I understand that. I understand that we can face serious grief and and that grief can be so profound and so deep that it can lead to people feeling depression or anxiety or sadness in such a way that that is almost debilitating in their lives for periods of time. But that should not be the ongoing and normal existence of Christian living. There is something in the Christian life in which you and I must, in those times, learn to dig deeply into Christ Jesus to find his peace, to find his joy in those times, to to find that in the depth of those, those periods of despair, we can dig deeply into Christ Jesus and he can be our strength. David it was who said the joy of the Lord is my strength. He's being hunted, he's being maligned, he's being persecuted by the king uh, through all of this. He was far from a perfect man, we know that. But through all of that, he's able to write that it is God's joy that strengthens him. And this is an important principle for us to understand that the circumstances of life will come against you and I. And Paul writes to the Thessalonian church who are receiving the word of God. They were receiving the gospel into their lives, grasping that gospel through affliction, through suffering, through hardship, through uh, an opposition of the enemy coming against them. And through all of that, Paul says that you receive this gospel with the joy of the Holy Spirit. This wasn't a contrived joy from a, um, uh, what's his name, uh, the, the Holy Ghost bartender from one of his meetings. This wasn't a contrived joy. Who, who, what's his name? Rodney Howe Brown, right? This is not, this is not, or, or from fire church and, and the, the, the insanity of this stuff that goes on, this, this, this hyping people up with this musical euphoria and the false proclamations of false healings that happen. I can't remember his name, but I know his surname is H-A-G-E-N, Hagen Ministries. Not, not Kenneth Hagen. No, Danny. Danny Hagen. Yeah, Daniel Hagen. You know, this is false ministry. It's false ministry that goes on. Now, I'm not saying he, he doesn't preach the gospel. 
All right, I'm not um, entirely certain about that. I know that some of you will know more than me but uh, about that. But what I'm saying is that when the emphasis is, uh, is upon the emotions, there is going to be then, uh, when real persecution comes against you, there is going to be a struggling within your life for that joy of the Holy Spirit because you've been introduced to Christianity through a an, an emotional climate that appeals to us in that time, right. and this leaves Christians then struggling when the when the difficulties come into their lives, and and so you can see that um, uh, that that persecution leads to many believers falling away, but that's not the record of the New Testament church. The New Testament church is a record of persecution that came against the church that led to the gospel being spread all around the world. In fact, Jesus proclaimed it in Acts 1 verse 8 that you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, some area, Samaria, and then the rest of the world. And what was it that pushed them out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and the rest of the world? Persecution. Persecution. That's what pushed the church out. But when they were pushed out, so they didn't stand there and just cop persecution for the fun of it. But when they were persecuted and they went into other areas, they then said, let's proclaim the gospel more and more. And the record in the book of Acts about this church in Thessalonica is that the opposition by the local um, anti-fans, the the, the local Antifa, uh, the opposition by these people was that they said about these Christians, these are they who have turned the world upside down. So they, you know, as persecution took the gospel out further and further, they still kept preaching. They weren't hiding. They were just looking for new opportunities. Now, Persecution is not always the same as all forms of suffering. Suffering can also come through the circumstances of life. You may be widowed, for example, and go through suffering. You may be divorced by someone who divorces you unrighteously and and and, and uh, with all kinds of vitriol and hatred involved, and and that can leave you suffering and grieving. In fact, uh, many times it's an even worse grief than facing the death of a spouse because it can seem so confusing in those times and, and so devastating in those times. And for the Christian, this is where we have to be careful and we have to be disciplined with ourselves because we can't just let our minds go and dwell on that suffering. We can't just do that. Now, you can say, oh, that's easy for you to say, you know. Let's go to Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. If you have an NIV, the nearly inspired version, or no, the... um. Uh, the the Good News Bible, I think it says in that, don't worry about anything. 
right? Um, and that is what this word anxious here means. It literally means worry, right? Do not be anxious about anything. Do not worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This is a, an exhortation. So this is not a law. This is an exhortation to believers that that when you're in these circumstances of life, do this, right? And Paul says to the church that when you're facing worry, don't sit around just worrying about it. Do something. And he doesn't say just do anything. He says, go into prayer. Go into prayer. And not just any kind of prayer. It is prayer and supplication. This word supplication means getting into the detail of your need. So it's not just, Lord, I've got this big worry in my life. Please take it away. You know, wouldn't that be great? Please take it away and then it's gone. That'd be great. But the issue with supplication is exploring the basis of the anxiety or the basis of the worry in prayer that we might also gain understanding about that situation because then what happens with understanding is we can deal with what we can handle and we can give to God what we can't handle. We can deal with what we can do things about and we can say, God, this stuff is out of my control. And I've told you uh, many times, I've shared the story about Suzanne and I before we got married and my my family was extremely distressed. I was just just 20 years of age. Literally the day after I turned 20, I asked Suzanne to marry me and um, uh, we were married inside two months of knowing each other. Uh, so I can understand they were freaking out, right? And uh, they're not Christians, uh, so then they were freaking out more I'm my my mum's youngest child, so, you know, her baby was doing these things and he'd gone insane anyway because I'd gotten saved and now he was um, being hoodwinked by this older woman, uh, you know, because she was all of two years older than me and uh, nearly three years older than me, so she's got me blinded or something, something's going on, all this stuff, and they were saying to me, don't come home. If you marry her, don't come home. Don't want to see you again. My sister was saying, mum's going to have a heart attack and it's your fault. Uh, all this kind of stuff. You know, this was a pretty bizarre situation. So there was anxiety building up because they were saying, why don't you just wait? And that's a good question. Why didn't we just wait? Um, it wouldn't have changed uh, our opinion on things, but that's another story. But this was causing me a lot of anxiety. I hadn't had this kind of pressure from my family before and so I've told you the story that I started reading my Bible and I opened up to Philippians chapter 4 and I'm reading through and this verse, you know how God does that kind of thing where it sort of bounces off the page and I realised I've got to give this to God. I was just like, I'm just a young, dumb country kid and and God has shown me I needed to give this to him because there are things I can't change in this situation. I cannot be responsible for their choices. And so I began just praying that and leaving it over into God's hands. And I tell you, what is the next verse? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and minds. And here we've got that same connection in Paul's writings here about the heart-mind connection. Paul doesn't think of this reason, this, this area of reasoning and faculty as being something separate to the heart, the seat of emotions. This is one thing. That area of emotional and rational cognition is, is the heart-mind area. And Paul says that God's peace will guard your heart-mind region. And I tell you, beloved, that's exactly what happened to me. But this is tied in to the very persecution that the Thessalonian church is having, the persecution that the Philippian church was experiencing. Paul is teaching them, listen, the gospel is what you responded to even through persecution and God gave you peace. God gave you joy. And then Paul writes to the Philippians and he says, don't let go of that peace. Keep going back to where you have to go to. God's peace will comfort your hearts. And this is a peace beyond all understanding. Now, it's an important lesson for us. And none of what we've spoken about this morning is what I was going to speak about uh, at all. It's just not there. But this is an important lesson for us because we, our, our country... And our, our world, our generation globally is being steered in this direction of an introspective self-focus. So every time we get a sense of anxiety about something, what happens then is people start focusing more and more on themselves. The, the scripture would really exhort us never to live that way but to live looking outwardly. 1 Timothy 1 verse 7. All right? We are not given a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. This is, this is the promise of Scripture. The soundness of mind, that is the promise of Scripture, is in total opposition. The, the world has a roadblock on this issue because now everything is genetic. Everything is you're born that way. If you're if you're if you've struggled with alcohol, it's probably because your father and your grandfather and your great grandfather were all alcoholics and it's a, a genetic weakness. There could be some truth that some people are more genetically disposed to weaknesses in those areas, but that person has to make a choice on those issues just as the person tempted toward sexual adultery has to make choices on those areas or tempted toward pornography has to make choices on those areas or tempted toward outbursts of anger over every time he faces opposition has to make choices on those areas. You and I, through sin, our natures have been corrupted and we all have failings and weaknesses in different areas of life. There's no doubt about that. And so you and I then have to walk closely with the Lord that he will be our strength in those times. Don't be distracted by my beautiful grandson back there crying. So, In the midst of this suffering, hardship, persecution, they experienced the joy of the Holy Spirit. This is not just any joy. This is joy that comes from God. Just like Paul talks about in Philippians with that peace, it is peace that comes from God. Jesus spoke to his disciples, John 16, turn over to there. 
29, we could go right back to 16 and read all the way through, but we don't have time for that. Verse 29, his disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming indeed. It has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Persecution's coming. And it it came. And they were scattered. And then persecution continued to come. After Jesus ascended, there there was a continued and increasing amount of persecution against these Jewish believers. They suffered. And they suffered greatly. They were, this is where the word witness comes from, is from these people. They, the word witness comes from the Greek word martus, which means, um, which is where the word martyr comes from. That's where it comes from. You want to be a witness for Jesus? Think carefully about that because when you go to witness to someone, you must put your life on the line for that circumstance. You may have to die for the cause of the gospel in more ways than just physically. You may face all kinds of rejection, dismissal from your job. This is the the cancel culture that we're in today. Whenever you speak up about something, people can uh, petition your employer to have you dismissed from your job. This is happening all the time. And it's prominent now in Australia as well. So much so that people are being silenced, which is what they want. But with that, now is coming a pushback of people who are fighting back and saying, no, this is wrong, and they're speaking up, and they are speaking up, and praise God for that. Anyway, another distraction. You'll be scattered, each to his own home will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Hallelujah. Take heart. I have overcome the world. If you have no scars, you're probably not in the fight, is is how the old saying goes, something like that. You know, there's not many boxes you see with with a straight nose, you know, unless they are exceptionally good, you know. That's the nature of war. That's the nature of the life that we're in, that the life you and I are in as believers faces serious opposition from the enemy. And we've, we've spoken many, many times that the, the chief area of that opposition or the chief area it can affect us no matter where it comes from, but the chief and really the only area that it can actually affect us is in the mind-heart area. That's where the real push of the enemy is coming from. And that's why Jesus said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but I have overcome the world. You're going to have opposition. You might have opposition from family members, from employers, from workmates, from people out on the street. We've been out street preaching and we've had situations where the only thing that has uh, protected us aside from the Lord, which is, you know, one man and God is a majority, 
but it has been the police force who have come along and uh, and have realised that this is a situation being fuelled and out of control by some people who are seriously against the gospel and uh, and have stepped in to take some people away. And even unsaved people standing there have clapped the police for taking these violent people away, right? Given them an applause for taking them away, you know? This is going to happen. But the attack, this, this serious attack is not the effects upon the body. The serious attack of suffering and affliction or of persecution is, the real attack is the intention of assaulting the heart-mind to make you ineffectual, that we might draw back and, and not speak. Because maybe that written warning once and written warning twice at work means that we'll lose our job next time I speak. And I, I want to speak, but I've got a family to feed. And this is where the battle, these are the, the real circumstances of life that we live under. And this is where the battle comes in and we have to use wisdom. Maybe we don't have to speak up in the staff meeting. Um, you know, Simon and I have... Uh, have a mutual friend from long, long ago who was working in building sites in the city, putting glass windows in. And uh, one time he jumped up on the on the lunchroom table and started preaching about Jesus in the lunchroom with a couple of hundred workers in there and praise God for that. Um, maybe we don't have to do that kind of thing. Maybe we we don't have to speak out like that and, and do that that type of stuff. I'm not sure. But maybe God is pressing you to. Maybe God is urging you to be more vocal, to step out. But you have to weigh that up. You've got to count the cost. This is part of the gospel-centered life, is that there is a cost with it. No one builds a tower except he first counts the cost. When Suzanne and I lived in Macau, there was a building that we nicknamed Missionary Mansion, and right opposite, because that's where all the missionaries went and lived in that place, a very prominent building. Right opposite that building was a, a, a 10 or 12 story building that had been put up, but it was just a concrete shell. That's all it had. No windows, no doors, no fittings, no plumbing, no anything, because the builder had run out of money. This giant eyesore there. No one builds a tower except he first counts the cost. And sees that he has enough. No one goes to war except he first checks, is his army big enough for this battle? You and I, beloved, must count the cost. And it will be easier to count that cost if we are walking in close relationship with the Lord Jesus. If we are coming to him to be our peace and our joy. If my peace and joy is dependent upon me working for my employer, then my security is in the wrong place. And I'll never do anything that might upset the apple cart, whether it's anything Christian or anything otherwise, um, because of that desire for that security. I tell you, beloved, we've got such a huge change in our society. There, there are great changes taking place right now and there's such a, an open battle right in front of us that, that we can see even non-Christians are seeing it and are defending our Christian heritage because it's part of our fabric as Western society. That's how 
prominent the, and how obvious the battle has to become to anyone with half a brain about, uh, about our history, we're in the midst of this. We're not escaping it. And so we need to determine where we're standing because this battle is only going to increase as the days draw nearer and nearer toward the final conclusion. Hallelujah. Well, none of that is at all where we're going to go, talking about Paul's brotherhood with the church. Um, But I hope it's blessed you. And let's close in a word of prayer. If you if you are prone to anxiety and depression, um, and I'm not being critical of you because I, by nature, am quite an anxious person by nature, and so I understand what that's like. Um, I do understand what that's like, believe me. I, I'm not prone to depression, um, but that is something that more and more men struggle with in, in their 50s. Um, and as they get older, because the body just doesn't respond like it used to and, and uh, you know, things just aren't functioning as well as they used to and all this type of stuff. So we have to be careful and we have to guard this heart-mind region. And that's what Second Corinthians 10 is really talking about when it talks about the pulling down of strongholds and that battle. And that's what Ephesians, uh, Philippians 4 is talking about. So I would urge you, take those concerns in earnest prayer to God and seek him for his peace. You'll know it when it arrives, I tell you. It's just such a blessing to walk away. And that's the one thing that I remember from that day when I was a young man and, uh, you know, working these things out with marrying Suzanne. And I remember getting up from that place where I went to pray about this issue just in my bedroom. This is in, in Emu Parade in Jakarta. Uh, up many years ago and just just praying and seeking God about it. I was so broken within, so disturbed about the whole situation uh, because as you know, you know, I love my mum. She's the only mum I've got and, um, and stuff. So it was so distressing to me at that time and man, by the time I got up from praying and I couldn't tell you how long I was there, 30 or 40 minutes, but by the time I got up from praying about that, my life was transformed and my understanding of this issue about anxiety was was totally revolutionized um, for my life and and um, you know and I, th- I thank God so much for that experience and and for opening that simple passage of scripture to me and so you know if you struggle with those things go to him in prayer about it and he will he will answer you amen hallelujah hallelujah father we thank you for today lord god hallelujah we praise you and we love you lord you're so good to us though we don't deserve it you're so faithful though we fail lord you're so loving even when we can be so callous you're so caring even when we do not care and are unmoved by people's circumstances. Help us, Father. Your purpose stated in your word is that we might be transformed step by step from one degree of glory to another into the image of your Son. And so we ask you, Lord, that you would continue to work in our hearts. Keep transforming us. 
mould us and shape us into the image of Jesus. Hallelujah. We praise you and we love you this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.